Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with Neil Huntington, former GM of the Pittsburgh Pirates and professional uh, in the in the sports business uh, and baseball industry. Um, Neil is going to be a part of the Pathways to the Elusive GM seat uh, presented by the UMass uh, McCormick Sport Department of Sport and Management program. Neil's an alumni of the program and excited to dive, dive into his career path and journey in, in the uh, baseball industry. And uh, Neil, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Jake, thanks so much for having me on the show. And, and uh, what you guys do is, is fantastic. I have a, a ton of respect for Fred and, and Andy and Pat from a distance. Uh, Fred, because of our overlap in, in the baseball industry, and, and uh, he was GM when I got my start. Uh, he was GM of the Dodgers when I got my start with the Expos with Dan Duquette. And obviously what Andy and Pat have done. And it's been fun catching up and learning about your background and look forward to things you're going to do in the industry. Absolutely. Appreciate that. And, and Neil, I mean, we both have a similar background in that we played college baseball, but give us a little insight as to, you know, what did you think you were going to do when you had to hang up the cleats on, on the player side? Well, I, I grew up on a, on a family owned dairy farm in, in Amherst, New Hampshire. It was my grandfather and my dad's farm, uh, small, Asher Dairy Farm, um, and it was a lot of work. Uh, when I was a teenager, I probably would have traded anything in the world to not be a farmer's son, and, and as an adult, I've realized that I wouldn't trade anything in the world to grow up a farmer's son. So I grew up on a dairy farm. My mom was a nurse, um, and I knew at a young age that I wanted to love what I did for work the way they loved what they did. My dad never had a bad day. He had hard days. My mom never had a bad day. She had hard days when, when she'd lose a patient or um, you know, my dad, the, the, an unexpected rain shower popped up and, and all of a sudden hay that we had down, we had to scramble and, and make a decision or if the animals weren't producing the way he wanted. Uh, but they didn't have bad days. And, and so uh, that was my goal. And since six, seven, eight, nine, I can remember wanting to love what I did, but knowing it wasn't farming and knowing it probably wasn't going to be medicine for a variety of reasons. But And baseball became my passion. I, I loved the game from the earliest memories I possibly have of it. I love playing it, but I, I'm not the most physically gifted person in the world. Five nine doesn't doesn't lend itself to being a big leaguer. Um, I didn't run well, um, but I, I love to hit. I love to, to take ground balls. I, I love to learn the intricacies of the game. And and uh, so I grew up thinking I was going to teach and coach. I thought thought I would teach high school and and coach uh, high school baseball and, and summer ball and and just give back to those to the game that I love so much and that had given things to me and. I was a good enough little player in New Hampshire that I got some small college interest and, and that led me to Amherst College as an undergraduate. Um, and, and while I was there, I thought, okay, my friends are all thinking about law school and med school and going to Wall Street. And I was still trying to figure out how to coach maybe now at the college level. So baseball has been what I wanted to do from, from the earliest memory. And um, I was very, again, very fortunate to get an opportunity to, to get into the professional side and uh, haven't looked back. And you started off your career with the Expos in which you know, you're, you're probably in your early twenties and you're going, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> so, so uh, my senior year, I, I got an opportunity through Dan Duquette uh, who played baseball at Amherst under the same coach, Bill Thurston, who'd been there for, I think his tenure was almost, almost 50 years. And, and so um, uh, he, Dan um, heard about me through coach, offered me an internship in the uh, Expo scouting department which I actually went to work for Frank Wren, who eventually became a GM. Gary Hughes is one of the most respected evaluators in the game. And 
So, you know, you talk about an unbelievable learning experience. And uh, my internship was entering um, the comments portion of, a, of scouting reports, two years worth of scouting reports into a computer program. The Expos, believe it or not, I'm old enough that the Expos were one of the first teams to computerize their scouting database. And um, learning the language of scouting, the friend's brain or Gary Hughes's brain about what they do and why they do it and how they do it. So I went back uh, to finish my senior year at Amherst. It was over uh, Christmas break and at and, and Amherst, we, we had the month of January off uh, to go do internships and, and just the great structure of the school. Um, that internship led to me getting a call to go intern with the Jamestown Expos who subsequently became the Vermont uh, Expos and now the Vermont Lake Monsters, I think is their name. I can't even remember. Um, and so one internship led to another. Um, and yeah, and the next thing I know is I was ready to go to my class at the University of Massachusetts uh, in, in, I guess that would have been the fall of winter of 1991. Dan Duquette had just gotten the Expos job. I'd interned twice for the Expos. Really wasn't thinking much about it, hoping maybe there'd be an opportunity after I graduated. And uh, Dan asked me if I'd come on board in either scouting or development. And, and I asked him which one he thought I could help them more in. And uh, he said, where's your passion? I said, my passion is to help you and my passion is to help the Expos. And uh, he said, well, one's based in Montreal, one's based in Florida. Does that impact your decision at all? And I said, Dan, you tell me where you think I can help you and, and I will be there. And he said, when can you be there? UMass probably won't be thrilled to hear this, but uh, I said, I can be there tomorrow. And he said, well, what about your UMass program? And I said, well, I'm doing this to learn, to grow, but also to make myself more hireable. And if you're telling me I have a full-time job, I'd be willing to leave the UMass program, as great a program as it is. Um, and he said, no, let's not do that. Why don't, you join, why don't you finish your UMass program? I was also coaching basketball and baseball at Amherst. Uh, why don't you finish that program and, and come on board when you can? And, um, you know, again, I look back on it and, and, and the amount I did learn at UMass was, was tremendous. Professor Glenn Wong was there. Professor uh, Lisa Pike, Master Alexis was there. And I just learned so much from them. Um, you know, there's four of us that, that are UMass alums that, that count. Uh, that have become general managers, three at one time. Uh, Chris Antonetti, Ben Sherrington are the, the two most prominent current GMs, and then myself and Dave Littlefield are in that former GM field. But and I think there's over 50 alums um, from Amherst, uh, from UMass Amherst uh, in the player ops side. And, and so the move to Montreal uh, was fascinating. It was at the time when, when Montreal was considering seceding, um, or Quebec was considering seceding from Canada. So it was an interesting time to live up there. But uh, loved it, uh, learned, um, and, and from there I went to the Indians, spent a decade with the Indians, and, and uh, uh, after getting let go this last October, 12 years with the Pirates as their GM. So uh, again, count my blessings. Fortunate to be around amazing people that let a young man or even an older man ask questions and learn uh, and continue to grow and develop. It's, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that journey in the sense of uh, you said, you know, UMass may not want to hear this, right, but you had the opportunity to go, and I want to talk about you know, that, that, what's that value of education to you? Because uh, I actually had something similar happen to me where um, I was sitting in Gabe Kathler's office uh, when he was with Dodgers at the time and kind of similar concepts, but I said, you know, I got to go to OU. Like that's that, you know, I'm in this program and it, and it meant a lot to me. And, um, and then I'd figure it out after that. Right. And as you're sitting there making those decisions, they aren't easy ones. Right. And you don't know which way the left or the right decision is going to you know, lead you to, but uh, it, when you think back to that time and, and then how it kind of sets you up for the career success that you've had so far, I mean, is there that aha moment of like, you know, I just, I knew I made the right decision or I made the decision the right one? 
I think made the decision the right one. And, and I think so many of us can fall victim to, oh, if I'd made choice X or choice Y, things would have been different when the reality is we make our pathway. And, and, and yes, there are things that are beyond our control, but if we focus, and, and it's a cliche now, but dominate your controllables, control what you can control, however you want to say it, but it is real. And how we show up every day to life, how we show up every day with our family, how we show up every day with those that we work around and how we impact them because of our attitude, because of our approach, because of how we do things, um, that's what sets your, your future path up. And, um, you know, and, and again, I, I feel fortunate that, that uh, had I left and gone into scouting with the Expos, I, I probably, I'm hopefully think I'd still be sitting here today. The path would be a little bit different, but I'd like to think I'd, I'd still be sitting here today, hopefully maybe not as a former GM, um, <laughs> But uh, I'd, I'd like to still think the pathways would have been open. And, and um, had I stayed with UMass, just different pathways, but the things I learned at UMass, the people that I met at UMass, and, and the other part about these programs, Jake, and I'm sure you would probably agree, it's not just what you learn in the classroom. It's not the academic rigors that you are challenged with, although they're fantastic, um, but it's the people that you're around, the, 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 the things that you can take away from successful people, the professors in the programs, um, the the alumni in the programs. I mean, Dan was a, uh, uh, an Amherst alum. David Jouse, uh, who's a longtime Major League bench coach, longtime Major League coach, uh, he's an Amherst graduate and a UMass graduate. Um, so there were people that that were in front of me that I was able to draw on their experiences to maximize my my time in the program. And then the friends that I've stayed in touch with over the years that are executives um, in in the NFL that have gone on to be uh, player representatives or that have gone on to be successful um, outside the UMass program. So it, it is what you learn in the program, but it's the people you learn from, but it's also the relationships that you build for the future that make these programs so valuable. No, you couldn't have said that any better. And, and I agree 100%. I think, you know, when you, when you mentioned uh, the network and the people that you get to learn from, look, inevitably it, sitting in the GMC for 12 years, the amount of people that you get to work with, you know, meet, um, cross paths with have to be, you know, more than you can keep track of. And one's probably going to ask you, A, how do you keep track of that? And B, how do you choose which ones you stay in touch with, don't stay in touch with, et cetera. Um, and, you know, to your earlier point of, you know, you don't know where your path is going to lead. Um, you know, there might be someone you come in contact with once at a, at a random ballpark that you somehow cross paths with five years later, uh, you know, in, in a trade deadline situation or something like that. Right. And so, how did, how did you go about that process over your, not only your journey, but then also, you know, being in, in the GM chair and, and only having, look, there's 24 hours in a day. You can only do so much uh, with, with your time, let alone pay attention to your family. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the hardest part is, is how we um, allocate our time and, and how um, intelligently we allocate our time and, and uh, yet still have the flexibility to do things that we love to do, that we want to do, that help us grow, help us get better. Um, it, it is tough, you know, Jake, and, and I, I had made a vow over as I was going into the role that, that I would respond to every, um, every inquiry I got. And um, it became more challenging to, to be able to respond to everybody, to, to be able to stay in touch with people over the years that maybe we didn't have an opportunity for um, but I really liked them and, and they had an opportunity somewhere else because the best leaders are always um, looking out for, for outstanding talent because there may not be a fit now, but two years from now, five years from now, seven years from now, you may end up having a perfect role for that person or 
that person may end up having the perfect role for you. And, and so networking to me, I, I don't love the buzzword of networking, but building relationships is, is absolutely important. And um, <clears throat> there were times I, I did it well, there were times I didn't do it well. And, and you know, one of my, my bits of advice um, for people that want to get into the game is don't let the game consume you. Um, don't let the game overwhelm you because uh, it isn't who we are. We, we, I wanted to be the best general manager that I could be for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but I also needed to be the best husband for, for my wife and the best uh, um, dad for my kids. And, and what struggled and, and what suffered the most is probably my friendships because there was only so much time in the day and I lost contact or, or reduced contact with, with some of my closest friends. And, and that is the hard part about it. And, and, you know, getting into the game today is, is just so challenging. And, and you're right, that one conversation you have with someone uh, may open the door. The, the, the separators um, between this incredibly deep talent pool is amazing. It's not who you know that's going to get you the job, but that network, that, that, that uh, group of people that you may have made a positive impression on someone somewhere along the way may separate you from a thousand other resumes that come across a general manager's desk or a director of baseball operations desk or whomever is the person responsible for, for uh, staffing that entry level or that internship or that fellowship program. And um, so you just don't ever know. UMass every year does a, a breakfast at the winter meetings. Um, and, and I have to admit that, that I did a horrible job. I, I got too busy for myself that I stopped going to those meetings. And that's a shame because I probably missed some really talented people along the way. Um, although I, I will admit that, that when a UMass or an Amherst resume came across my desk, it, it, it got some special attention because I know the quality of people and I know the quality of program um, from which they're coming. No, that's a great point. And, and I want to touch on that identity piece because, you know, you talked about you being a former GM now and, and kind of looking on the outside as, as you know, we're, we're having some sort of baseball go on, right? Uh, maybe no fans, but there, there is baseball being played. And as you think about the identity piece and not letting it consume you, no matter what level you are in the industry, uh, is there a piece in which, from an advice perspective or insights into kind of just how you evolved throughout your career and, and um, maybe adapted, right, going from uh, entry level to, and, and possibly being single to then being married and so on to where, um, you had that identity shift at some point in time. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of opportunities. One, I, I would say um, whenever uh, you, there is a significant other involved, they need to understand the time demands of working in pro sports. Um, loving professional sports, whether it's loving baseball, is not enough to work in baseball. You need to love to work in baseball because th these jobs are relentless. They are 24-7. Um, th there's very little time down. Even when you're away from the office, you're, you're always on call. And, and I'm not talking just general manager's jobs. Our, our director of baseball ops, our assistant director of baseball ops, our assistant scouting director, our, our entry-level people, the time demands are, are immense. And so the significant other needs to understand that. Uh, the divorce rate in our, in our country is really high. Um, the divorce rate in pro sports, I would imagine, is probably twice as high, as insane as that sounds. In terms of, of evolution, yeah, I, you know, I think I've, I've got um, probably not a great story to tell about myself, but, but uh, when I became focused on doing the job that I had to the very best of my ability, um, that's when the next opportunity popped up. And you would have thought that it would have taken me one time to realize it, but it took me two. So uh, when I was a, you know assistant farm director with the Montreal Expos and the farm director job opened up, 
you know, even as I was the assistant, I was solely focused on preparing to become a farm director and, and preparing myself for that opportunity and, and capitalizing when that opportunity came around. And, and yeah, I did, my, I did my job well, but my focus was on the next job. And when a farm director job with the expos opened up and I didn't get it, it crushed me. And, and I became frustrated and I, and I realized, okay, I didn't get it. I need to regroup and I need to go be the best assistant farm director I can possibly be to the, the farm director and trust that when he gets an opportunity to go somewhere else, maybe I'll get an opportunity here or maybe he'll recommend me to an opportunity somewhere else. And so I became focused on being the best assistant farm director that I could be. And the Cleveland Indians opportunity popped up within six months of me just focusing on, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do my job. I got to the Indians, um, assistant farm director. One year I moved laterally because it was just a great opportunity at that time to go to the Indians and, and they were so successful and um, just other reasons. It, it made a ton of sense. And, and as the assistant farm director just went in, put my head down, focused on being the very best assistant farm director I could for the Indians. I'm there a year and I get the farm director opportunity. Farm director opportunity, you know, just head down, go hard, not thinking about anything because that is the most demanding job that I think I will ever have. Um, you're overseeing six or seven minor league teams and, and you're essentially the GM for seven minor league teams and it's just, it's never ending. Um, and three years in, I get the opportunity to become an assistant GM with, with the Indians. And the job at the time wasn't a perfect match for me and my passion. My passion is baseball. My passion is helping people. And the job at the time became more administrative and rules and budgets and contracts. And, but I took it because I thought that's the path to becoming a GM is you have to be on that pathway. It was a neat little pathway. I'm one step closer. I took the job and very quickly realized that that wasn't the job that I was really happy in, that I missed the baseball conversations that I missed. And, and I was involved in every transaction we made and, and long-term planning uh, for the baseball side and the baseball strategy. Uh, but but I wasn't involved in, in my day-to-day my -day responsibilities were more budgets, administration, contract, and rules. Um, and so I, I actually went to Mark, and uh, Mark Shapiro was the general manager at the time, and, and asked, and he and I had a conversation about my future and where I wanted to go, and I stepped out of that path, and I became a special assistant, which the role was an evaluator and an advisor, and I went into that role knowing that I probably closed the door to becoming a general manager because I'd, I'd gotten out of that neat, neat little path of assistant GM to GM. Went and, and did my very best special assistanting um, for five years and, and had really come to the conclusion that if this is the job that I have for the next 20 years, I'm gonna be good with that. And the Pittsburgh Pirates opportunity opened up and, and I became the general manager of the Pirates. So the advice I would give to people is, is when you are focused on doing your job to the very best of your ability to help those around you grow, to help those of you, those around you be the best that they can be, to be the best organization, to be the best team player, to be the best person, friend, coworker that you can be, that's how you get the next opportunity versus focusing on how do I get the next opportunity. You do your job at an unbelievable level and, and trust that those opportunities will present themselves. Yeah, I listened to you talk about that and, and just it's so interesting because everyone talks about currently in this day that, you know, those who are coming into the industry, they always want to be at the GM at, you know, 27 or 28, right? Whatever the newest, you know, young yeah. age. I think, I think the, the Astros GM at the time was 30 when he got it. I mean, you were 38, right? Or close, close thereof when I was when 38. Got, yes. Yeah. When you got your GM job. And so, you know, the, the age keeps, to, you know, at some point it's gonna be 21, right? Like uh, people are going to think that they can be there. But it just shows that, you know, regardless of what, um, 
you know, era we're in, everyone's always thinking about what's next or how do I get to this seat or uh, whatever it might be. And, and your point is a great one. And I know that, you know, when we first started this podcast, Fred Clare talked about, you know, being the very best at whatever it is that your job is. And, you know, he started in, you know, PR and communications, right? So you talked about the path and um, being able to, you know, that, that opportunity finding you at that, at that very point in time when you're not, you know, expecting it. Um, so let's talk about your, your time in Pittsburgh then and, and just maybe some of the things that, look, you, you, you know, you don't know about uh, what it's like to be a GM if, you know, if you aren't one. And, you know, you talk to people in the industry too who may be an assistant GM, they may be a special assistant, whatever it might be. They're close enough to the top where they can see what a GM really truly goes through and they go, I don't want to be one. I'm, I'm good with where I'm at. Can you talk a little bit about just those experiences and uh, the perspectives that maybe others have in terms of what it takes to be a GM? Yeah, so when I was an assistant um, with the Indians, an assistant GM with the Indians, um, there were times where I, I was struggling to understand some of the decisions we were making as an organization, both in business and in baseball. And Mark told me at the time, you just don't understand unless you've sat in this chair. And, and I remember being a bit offended by that because I wanted to try, I wanted to help, I wanted to, to do whatever I could to, to help him alleviate some of the stress or pressure or demands that he was feeling. And I just felt like I wasn't doing well enough to, to do that. I wasn't helping him to the, to the very best of my ability at the time. And I, but that always stuck with me. You don't really know the chair until you're in the chair. And, um, you know, very quickly when, when we made the, our first trade to, to begin to tear down the Pirates in, in, in July of 08, um, all of a sudden I got it. And, and it's one thing to watch your general manager take media abuse and now social media abuse, but primarily at that time it was media abuse or questions or um, you know, some of the stuff that Mark took in Cleveland, uh, the Robbie Alomar trade, it became very personal. And it wasn't about his decision, it was about him. And, and that was hard to watch. Um, and, and in my time in Pittsburgh, um, and, and as you're gathering advice and you're listening to people and, and you're thinking, man, in a vacuum, that's, that's a great idea, but there's going to be fallout from it. Our fan base is going to be angry, which is going to lower attendance, which is going to lower revenue, which is going to lower the things that we can and can't do. Um, and you can't make decisions based upon fan or media uh, feedback or, or negative feedback. You still need to make what you believe to be the right decisions, but you don't operate in a vacuum. And, and when the attacks become personal, um, it, it becomes a challenge and, and to, to keep that thick skin. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think I did a pretty good job with that. And I'd like to think that, that I tried to insulate the rest of our front office from it as best I could. Um, but the, the time demands, the pressure demands, everybody needs or wants something from you. It's the most important thing on their plate as the director of this department brings something to you but he or she may not be realizing that five other directors are bringing you the same time demands or the same requests or the same highest priority thing that we do as an organization. We have to do this. And, and you've got only so many dollars that you can allocate, only so much um, uh, capital that you can allocate to project X, Y, or Z or to decision X, Y, or Z. And um, having them understand the bigger picture becomes a challenge. And, and yeah, just the, the, the demands of the job um, uh, and each director's job is much more demanding than, than he or she 
the, the, per, the people that work for him or her. Um, they, you know, the assistant director doesn't understand the director's chair. The director's chair doesn't understand the assistant GM's chair. The assistant GM does, chair doesn't understand the GM's chair. Truthfully, the GM probably doesn't understand the, the president's chair, who, who may or may not understand the owner's chair. Um, so they each have a, a different level of lack of understanding that it's hard to get unless you're actually in them. Yeah, you mentioned the owner's chair, and we've had a couple couple people, uh, you know, Steve Patterson was on talking about the different owners he's worked for along with Andy. And, you know, you mentioned the owner, right? Like at the end of the day, everyone thinks, oh, it's a GM's decision, but you've got a boss too, right? I mean, you're reporting to someone as well. Yeah. And, and we worked really hard in my time with the Pirates to make what we believe to be the best decision for the best reasons with the best information. Um, and it didn't always turn out that way. We didn't always make great decisions, and we tried to then go back, what did we miss? What did we overvalue? What did we undervalue? Because, and the reason we did that is we didn't want to make decisions to avoid being fired because that's the quickest way to get fired is, is to make a decision to avoid being fired. At the same time, um, baseball decisions weren't made in a baseball vacuum. There, there was a bigger picture impact that we needed to be cognizant of. At the end of the day, the goal is to win a World Series uh, publicly. Um, at the same time, our goal every single day was to show up to help people get better, to help people reach their potential personally uh, and professionally, to help people reach their goals personally and professionally. And, and, you know, we talked about wanting to change the world through Pirates baseball. We wanted to make an impact to make those around us better. Uh, and when people left us, we celebrated that. When, when an assistant got a director job somewhere else or uh, an area scout got a, a, a supervisor job somewhere else, that was a celebration for us. That was a time of, of great pride and, and great uh, a joy, uh, because that was what we were there for. Um, you know, you could talk about better people, better players, better team, uh, better organization. And, and that was kind of how we went about it. Uh, at the same time, at the end of the day, this is a, a results-based business and, and, and we didn't win enough. And, and then, you know, Bob Nutting made a decision that, that he needed to bring in someone else who also happens to be a UMass grad, Ben Sherrington. But, um, and I wish Ben nothing but success. I, I have a ton of respect for him. I still have so many people with the Pirates that I love and care about, and I want them to be successful and, and want this next retool, rebuild uh, to, to go great because, um, you know, the, the, there are so many good people with the Pirates that, that haven't experienced the World Series, that haven't experienced a deep playoff run despite their best or our best efforts. Yeah, you mentioned the, the on-the-field success as well as the off-the-field success, and, you know, it's it's tough, I'm sure, under the pressure to, to – be judged by the on-field success, even if you may be succeeding off the field, right? You may be developing people personally and professionally, even though the success on the field doesn't look like it publicly. Exactly. The, the, the wins sometimes, the wins at the major league level or the highest level are sometimes the last thing to come. And, and people don't want to hear that because, you know, you have, you have the miraculous turnaround story. That miraculous turnaround story probably started five years ago. And, and it started with uh, a change in culture. It started with a change in personnel. It charted, started with a change in focus. Um, that didn't just happen overnight. We didn't go from being a, a very bad team in 2012 to a very good team in 2013, accidentally or just overnight in 2012 to 2013. It, there was a, it was a, an accumulation of a, of a lot of good things, and um, it's much easier to become bad quickly than it is to become good quickly. Well, and it's, and it's, I'm sure you can agree, it's much easier to uh, get things taken away from you, right, than it is to, you know, build up over time to get to that, to that job. And so uh, the situation we're currently in, right, and, and understanding that there's a lot of uncertainty, some people are having to switch career paths, switch, you know, directions, 
um, take different roles, whatever it might be. And understanding that when you walked into the office every day, you know, it was potentially a win or a loss. You hoped it was uh, a win and you're optimistic every day, right? I'm sure. But uh, there was still that uncertainty of, of what that, you know, three hours on the field was going to bring. Uh, what insights and maybe perspectives or approaches can you share for those listening that are, are maybe having to pivot right now or, or think about something different? Well, I mentioned it earlier, and again, it is a cliche, but control your controllables. What does that mean? Well, it means that, that uh, um, how you treat people. It means how you work to be better. It means how do you work to exceed expectations in everything that you do? How do you try to add value in everything that you do? How do you um, help those around you uh, to be the best that they can be? How do you keep a growth mindset and, and just strive to keep learning? Um, you know, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Uh, how do you show up every day with positivity in what is an incredibly challenging and, and negative time? And, and um, how do you not let yourself wallow in self-pity? Um, having been fired once, it, it, it's not fun. It, it's not a good experience. Um, but, but how do you maximize uh, the lessons that you've learned, the takeaways that are good? How would you do it differently next time? Um, what would you keep the same? What would you build upon? Um, so again, controlling the, the controllables is a cliche, but it is real. And, and um, how you go about it, who you are, the, 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 the impact that you want to have, how you make that impact, uh, I mean, those are absolutely crucial. And, and that is controlling the controllables. That's not a cliche anymore. If you can put those action, those words into actions, um, doors should open. And if they don't, that wasn't the right door. Keep, you know, keep grinding, keep, keep uh, working to grow, keep working to get better, keep working to help those around you be the best that they can be. And if that's your approach, um, my gut and my belief and my experience, because I'm incredibly fortunate, I do count my blessings, is that that door does open up. And, and when a door opens, it may not be the right door. That's the other thing is there's still an, an active choice involved in this that you have to make the decision whether you're going to join organization X or organization Y, or whether you're going to jump to scouting or player development as I had to almost 30 years ago. And, um, uh, but, but you can control so much of, of, of what's so important in life and the time that you're spending with your family that balance is, is a bad word because we're not 50, 50 ever. Um, but there are times when, you know what, work needs to be 80% of our focus and our family's 20, but there needs to be an open conversation about that. But we've got to get that pendulum to swing back in the other direction at some point in time. And, you know, our, our balance is going to be too far to the family, but that, that's, there's a time to do that. The unfortunate thing in professional sports, it's a very small window that you get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you know, making the decision, the right decision. And I think that speaks highly to, um, you know, what you just mentioned. And, uh, appreciate the approach and the insights. Uh, last question for you, a uh, fun one, hopefully, uh, as we wrap up. You know, if you could play in any stadium uh, for one game, where would you play? Wow. Um, you know what? I actually had a chance to fulfill my dream. Uh, I was a good enough little college player to play in a Division Three versus Division Two and Three uh, New England All-Star game, and it was Fenway Park. And I grew up in New Hampshire, so of course it's Fenway Park. Um, and to be able to play at Fenway Park, I'm, I'm still two for two at Fenway Park. I got a couple knocks that day, uh, but to have my playing career, that's when my playing career ended. That's the last game of, of baseball that I played in my life was at Fenway Park, um, and, and, and I'm good with that. You know, it's, there was, I went right into interning at Jamestown, so I had no chance to play summer ball, and then I started right in with the Expo, so I had no chance to play summer ball again, and 
I'm good with that, man. The last game of competitive baseball I played was at Fenway Park. Now, um, I love PNC Park. I mean, you know, where the Pirates play, I really do. It's just a gorgeous facility as the sun sets at night off the buildings in center field uh, with the city in the distance. San Francisco is obviously beautiful, but I, I, I had the chance, Jake, I fulfilled mine. It was Fenway Park. Well, you and Big Poppy got two things in common then. <laughs> got a hit in your last bat at Fenway Park. That's, that's, uh, I had forgotten that. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, so that's, uh, no, that's fantastic. I, it's, that's one heck of a storybook ending. I mean, I think, you know, unfortunately mine ended in an injury, but, you know, you, I think everyone, every kid can dream that they end their career in Fenway Park. So um, that's, that's amazing. And Neil, want to thank you for your time, uh, your insights, your advice, uh, you know, your journey obviously has been incredible and, and the success that you've achieved and, and look forward to uh, continuing uh, to watch that success as well throughout the rest of your career. Uh, and thank you for, for participating in the pathways to the elusive GMC uh, series with the UMass uh, McCormick Sport Management Program. Well, Jake, thanks so much for having me on the show. There's, there's only 30 Major League Baseball GM jobs, but, but working in the industry is still fantastic. It's, it's still fulfilling. It's still challenging. You're still contributing. You can help people grow. You can help an organization uh, reach its goal. You can help create lifelong memories for fans if, if, you know, wherever you are in the industry. So yes, the ultimate goal might be a GM, but working within the industry of sport, whether it's in the NBA, the NHL, the, the NFL, soccer, I mean, there's so many great opportunities to have a positive impact on people that uh, don't give up just because there may not be a, a pathway to the GM job, because there is only 30 of them or, or the number of the, in each of the other sports. But uh, the impact that you can make on people around you, the impact you can make on, on, a, on a community um, is, is fantastic. And, and, and there's so many great opportunities to do that outside of the sports-specific roles. Everybody wants to be a GM, but man, in community relations, you can make somebody's life so much better uh, in, in ticketing, in marketing, in, in promotions. You can make a positive memory for a person. And that's what we should be looking to do in, in professional sport is to create lifelong positive memories for our fans, uh, as well as win games. But the lifelong positive memories, man, that, that, that's, that's what we should be striving for as an industry. Yeah, I mean, your approach and, and your perspective uh, couldn't, say, couldn't say more about, you know, what your uh, abilities have been able to allow you to do. So, Neil, appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much, Jake.